For our scripture reading this evening, we're turning to the epistle of Paul to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse number 1. Galatians chapter 1, reading from first verse. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you, and peace from God the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, evil world according to the will of God and our Father. To whom be the glory for ever. Amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from another, from heaven, preach another gospel unto you that not which you have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, that if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that you have received, let him be accursed. But I do I now persuade men, or God, or do I seek to please men? For if yet please men, I shall not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached unto of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited it in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me, that I may preach him among the heathen, and immediately conferred with not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that which are apostles before me, but I went unto Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. And after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save saw I James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I wrote unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came unto the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by my face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Amen. Now we've been going through the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians and we've come to chapter 3. And really the section that is before us is verses 2 down to verse 7. And Paul is here in what have called, some have called a digression. And Paul is going to make it very clear that uh, what he has been bringing to these uh, people in Ephesus is not something that he has made up himself. This is not man-made, it is not originating from himself or from other people, but it is that revelation of God concerning Christ. And so Paul is going to come to these people once more and remind them what they already know. That comes out in verse 2, 
if you have heard of the dismissation of all the stewardship of the grace of God which was given me to you were it's not really a question here, it's making a statement saying you heard, you remember. I've told you to you before concerning these matters, and so Paul is here reaffirming the things that have already gone before, namely concerning the revelation of Christ in the gospel. Now, you might be wondering why we had read from Galatians chapter 1. Well, uh, you would perhaps notice as we came through to Galatians how Paul is again reminding the people there at Galatia concerning the fundamentals of the faith. And Paul will then go on to explain his authority that it's not from men, it's not of man. And then he will go on to describe how the Lord dealt with him and then brought them to this point. And it is interesting that if you look at Galatians and Ephesians, both of these epistles are written by Paul from Rome when he is in prison. And so these are two different churches, two different locations. But Paul is essentially writing similar things to these two congregations. Now, when we think about the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ and our own day, and perhaps we perhaps are very aware of the challenges that come upon us. We find ourselves challenged in what we believe. And if we look out, we see a variety of different churches, different beliefs, different ideas, different uh, emphasis, perhaps. And there are various other things, such as um, heresies, falsehoods, errors being promoted. And perhaps we can feel very overwhelmed by all of this. And perhaps we can almost ask the question, well, are we really right in what we believe? Are we true to what we believe? And it can be very confusing. And things with the internet and social media, these things have perhaps had an application that they have not had in previous generations. And if you think about uh, young people, think about Uh, Anybody really looking on the internet, searching out questions, perhaps having an interest in Christian matters, they're going to be bombarded with a plethora of ideas, information and errors, as well as a mixing with truth. And so Paul is going to remind the church of Ephesus concerning the things that he's already told them concerning the mystery of Christ. But it is to Galatians chapter 1. I want us to turn just to see how Paul brings the church there at Galatia back to the fundamentals of the gospel and comes to remind them not to be wavering and sway concerning these most urgent and precious and essential truths. So Paul here in Galatians is writing up a follow-up letter to the church here in Galatia. It's a region, and so it is assumed and believed that there are a number of churches in Galatia. So if you look at verse 2 of chapter 1 of Galatians, you see Paul writing to the brethren which are with me unto the churches, plural, of Galatia. Well, how could we understand that? Well, if you went to some of our big cities, particularly, say, our capital city, uh, London, it would be inconceivable or difficult for people to travel to uh, one central church. And so that you might find throughout that city there are a number of congregations. But collectively you might refer to them as the London churches or the church in London. And so Paul is writing 
and he has been preaching with Silas, his companion. And now we don't know very much about this church, but it is true to say that this church was established. Um, Paul visits it in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, and then again in chapter 18 in a follow-up visit. But this church has been knocked off course. It has lost its mooring. Don't know whether you've been uh, down the canal in devices, but sometimes in the winter time you will find that there is a stray boat in the middle of the canal. It has lost its mooring. Perhaps uh, the uh, wind has driven it, and the boat hasn't been secured, and so it's now loose, going down the canal. Well, that's not too bad on a canal, but just imagine that of a big ship in the ocean. It's put down its anchor. And now that anchor has snapped. And now the ship is drifting. It can cause great danger. The ship can fear, of course. It can go away from where it ought to be. And we find that the Galatian churches had done something similar. They had lost their fixings. They had lost their moorings in the gospel. And they were drifting away. And so Paul has an issue with these Galatians. And is going to come to them very quickly and deal with this so that they get back on track, back on course. And so he writes these people, reminding them of his of his authority. Now, this has nothing to do with Paul uh, picking himself up from promoting himself, don't you know who I am kind of thing. Uh, Paul is going to illustrate that what he is doing and the authority that he has isn't of himself. And so as he is speaking to them, They are to hear it, not because Paul, that man from Tarsus, has said it, but because Paul is an apostle of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And so Paul is saying out his authority. His authority is of God. And if you are going to glance your eye back to Ephesians chapter 3, you find that when he is speaking concerning this uh, great mystery that has been revealed, uh, that what he has given to the people there at Ephesus is what God has given to him. So it comes directly from God. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which has given me to you, would. And so he is imparting that truth unto them. He's not trying to promote himself in any way, but rather to demonstrate that he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Later on in chapter 1, we will see how Paul goes into more detail about his calling and how God mercifully dealt with him, called him to grace. Um, Speaks about his life as a Jew, very zealous of the uh, traditions of the fathers and things of that nature. But he has been saved by the power of God. Christ was revealed unto him. And so he reveals Christ unto the heathen. That comes out a little bit later in chapter 1 of Galatians. And God is glorified. So Paul reminds them of his authority, his calling and divine enabling. And so this message is coming Not principally from Paul, but from the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul then addresses these believers, uh, these Christians, 
and he reminds them of the great uh, grace and blessing that there is in God. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to explain in a very succinct way what the gospel is. Concerning Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. So we have Jesus Christ set forth uh, as the Saviour, as the long-anticipated Messiah, how his salvation that comes is a free gift, and it's that purpose of bringing salvation to sinners, that we might be delivered from this uh, present evil world and when we think about this world it is a fallen world it is an evil world it needs delivering from there is a delivering uh, there is a present wickedness there is a future punishment that is going to come and we need to be delivered unless of course we refuse and then we will experience the wrath of god undiluted and this is all according to the work of god the purposes of god and his mercy for his people. And so when we think about salvation, when we think about the gospel, it really is good news because this is what God has done for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think about salvation, if it is without Christ, then we have no salvation whatsoever. So if we are trusting in a salvation by works or by effort, then we are lost. If we are trusting in salvation, in another individual other than Christ, we are lost. We're going to come on to that in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John make their defence before the Sanhedrin declare how salvation is in another, none other save Jesus Christ alone. And then Paul goes on to marvel. He is marvelling at the gospel which had been preached unto them is now no longer good news. And there... This is where he is now getting to his point. Paul is concerned that they have swapped the true, authentic gospel of Christ for some counterfeit message. In verse 7, he uses language such as this, how that they have perverted the gospel of Christ. They have a perversion now, and it's now no longer good news. And so when we think about this, Paul is greatly marvelling. He is shocked how quickly they have gone astray. Now when we look at the church at Galatia, and when we look at other churches as recorded in the scriptures, and when we look at our own selves, we perhaps would have that self-confidence and say, well, that could never happen to us. That is not something that could occur in our situation. But what we find is the liability of the human flesh as such that we will drift away unless we are kept by the power of God. And so we find that this world is against the church. The devil is against the church. Our own fallen hearts will seek to corrupt the gospel of Christ. And so we must be on our guards. 
Now, there are four ways in which we might see uh, how this gospel is corrupted in some degree or another. Uh, There will be those who will seek to pervert and change and alter what is said, putting a new spin on things, putting a different emphasis on things, perhaps keeping what looks okay, but it's uh, been looked at from a different angle, perhaps. There are those that will try to minimise the message or cut out some of the message. And there will be those that will try to add to the message. So we have the gospel plus all these other things. And then you might find you have those that completely dispute the message and, well, say it's a load of nonsense and will come up with some other idea or philosophy. And so false teaching... Uh, can come into some of these groups and we must be on our guard against this. But rather than being on our guard and just looking out for error, it's important that we have a stronger stand in the things that we know, the things that we believe and the things that have been revealed unto us. In a sense, it is quite helpful to know what different groups believe um, and how they differ from the authentic gospel as recorded in the scriptures but it's far more important to know what we do know and what we do believe and what the scriptures do teach and so we have the word of God we have it from the beginning to end God has breathed it out it is inspired and therefore we can trust its integrity it is true without error it is relevant The message that we have here for the Church of Galatia is still as applicable in the 21st century as it was in the 1st century when it was first given. It is relevant. Man's great needs requiring salvation hasn't altered. We haven't evolved into something better. And therefore we, we don't need quite as much gospel as we perhaps once did going back a few generations ago. The message of God is still relevant. The word of God is still authoritative. It is still, it has its right to speak and to declare and to give judgment and to give directive and perspective on things. And it is sufficient. We don't need Revelation Mark 2, Revelations Mark 3 to deal with the complexities of this new age We have a sufficient scripture, Genesis to Revelation. And the message of the gospel, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) of gospel as Paul has commented on in verse 4 and 5, centers around what Christ has come to do. And thinking about his purpose, uh, the means of salvation, and thinking about his person as well. And so when we think about that, when we, many of the errors of this world, many of the false religions come, that many will attack even the person of Christ, the work of Christ, or the means of salvation. Well, uh, the church here, they had left their mooring. They had slipped from where they ought to be. Perhaps it was imperceptible to begin with perhaps they looked like they were in the right place perhaps they thought they were in the right place but as time went on further and further they are drifting 
but now the result is they'd held to a false gospel. And so the gospel that they now had, and it will come out as to how that was affecting itself, particularly in chapter 2 and 3, it was concerning the addition of Judaism to the Christian message. And so if you were to be truly saved, that you had to be a Jew and a Christian, and both had to go together. And so for the Gentiles, they were at a disadvantage. And so they were counted not as full citizens. And again, when Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, he goes on to make that very clear concerning the Gentiles. Verse 6 of chapter 3, the Gentiles shall be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And so Paul is saying if you lose sight of the gospel, if you lose sight of who Christ is, what he has done, how salvation comes, then you don't have good news at all. Well, Paul says that in verse 7, speaking about the gospel, it is not another good news. It really isn't good news. False teachers had come in and they had now got an empty message. In the book of Jeremiah, the uh, prophet Jeremiah is called by God to preach um, to the Israelites, to the people. There, when the enemy was about to attack, he was telling them concerning the judgments, how that they were to prepare for judgment. And yet, at the same time, there were those going round about saying, peace, peace. When there is no peace. Despite the onslaught of the enemy, there were those that were giving false hope, false reassurances. And the same is true today. There are many people that would go up to somebody in their sin and give them great encouragement to carry on, live just as they live, just as they want. That Jesus will accept them just as they are. But we believe that he will accept us and receive us at the point of our need, but he changes people, transforms them by the power of the cross. And so we must be careful that we don't uh, lose sight of what Christ has come to do. While Paul describes these false teachers as perverters of that message, very serious words, and it would bring great harm to them. And so then Paul would come on, uh, go on in verse 8 and 9 to give a very severe warning. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any, any other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And if the church of Galatia hadn't got it the first time, he says it this way, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that she which you have received, let him be accursed. It doesn't matter how dynamic the preacher is, how famous the preacher is, what celebrity status the preacher has. It could even be an angel from heaven coming with this message. But if it deviates from that which has been revealed in scriptures, it is to be rejected. And that message is not to be received. And the one that brings that message, a corruption of the truth, is put in very severe terms here as to be accursed.
accursed, very serious. And that is the reward for the false teacher. Well, Paul continues this clear, unambiguous message and language concerning those who teach falsehood on the fundamentals of the gospel. And so we will see today that people will attack the person of Christ. They'll claim to be Christians, but they'll say something along the lines of that Jesus wasn't truly divine. He wasn't, he was just a man set apart by God. He was appointed by God to be his son, but he wasn't divine. Well, that's no help to fallen human beings like us. We need somebody more than ourselves to save us. Others may say, well, he is not our, he's not human. He doesn't have human flesh. He's not one of us. He is God's son. He is the second person, the Trinity, but he remains God. He didn't take human flesh. He is not human. Well, again, that's no good to us because we are sinful human beings and we need one that can represent us and we can relate to. And that is why it's so wonderful when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Emmanuel, God with us, God manifest in the flesh. And so the Apostle Paul, uh, writing to uh, the church, to uh, Timothy, he would give that that great message concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, um, what he come to do, and what would describe him as the the mediator, the one, uh, there was one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So we need the whole Christ. And so we must be on the guard against those that would uh, come with falsehoods regarding what he had come, uh, who Jesus was. We must also be very much aware of those who will come who would deny the work of Christ. That sacrificial death, that dying himself for our sins. Again, people will not like that today. And so you may see all kinds of things uh, put that Jesus didn't really die, uh, that substitutionary atonement death. Uh, they will doubt the details of his birth, that he wasn't born of a virgin. Others would doubt that he either truly died or that he truly was raised from the dead or that he was ascended into heaven. And so the work of Christ is somehow diminished. And then others would doubt and deny what salvation means, how it is ours. Uh, they would say that it is ours uh, through what Christ has done and through what we also do ourselves. And so those that come and pervert such a message and rob Christ of his glory, doubt his uh, person, his work and the means of that salvation, judgment is pronounced. They are to be accursed, as Paul would put it, anathema, anathemized, sorry, cast out, rejected. Some might say that this is not very loving, is it? Not how you should treat uh, somebody well when they're coming to corrupt and eternal souls are at stake and the matter of heaven and hell are at stake and the righteousness of God is at stake. This is very serious indeed and so very serious consequences are there. In Matthew chapter 7, you have the Lord Jesus Christ uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. He would declare... 
concerning those who had an outward profession of faith in him, who had an outward religion and yet did not know him in him personally. And yet they would be claiming to do all kinds of things. Uh, He would say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. And so these who had preferred the gospel are to be anathemized. Well, what a very sobering and serious matters this is. But yet we have a call in Galatians, but also a call in Ephesians as well, to remember what we have been told. Paul marvelled that they'd quickly forgotten, and Paul writing to the uh, Ephesians says, you've heard it already. And it comes again and tells them once more. And so I'm going to make no apology about preaching the gospel, reminding you of the things of the gods and the cross and the salvation. You might say, well, uh, we've heard it before. We'll, uh, we need to keep hearing this. And when we think about that lovely hymn, tell me the old story, uh, the hymn writers, they make it very clear that we are prone to forget. We are easily distracted. We are being bombarded continually by all kinds of errors, misinformation, fake news, as if you like, concerning the gospel. And so we must be grounded in the truth. And we have it revealed in the word of God, the word of God, which is authoritative. It is trustworthy, full of integrity, and it is something that is applicable today. And it is something that is sufficient for us. We need not look anywhere else, save the scriptures of truth. Well, may the Lord help us, and God willing, we'll continue looking at Ephesians chapter 3 and see what Paul had been revealed unto him, that mystery of Christ. And that mystery that had been revealed uh, now willingly, lovingly, and generously shares with these dear Ephesian believers. Well, may the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Amen.